we start today's episode, just to let you know, you can now nominate for the 2025 Northern Power Women Awards. To be in with a chance of celebrating with changemakers, trailblazers and advocates on the 6th of March 2025. Nominate now at wearepower.net. Northern Power Women podcast for your career and your life, no matter what business you're in. Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to 2018 and episode seven of the Northern Power Women podcast. I'm Sam Walker and speaking as someone who is still currently about 83% mince pie, I really hope you enjoyed the festive season and are now raring to go for the new year. Now, in this month's episode, times, they are a-changing. You'll hear from Helen Baker, Quality Assurance Director from Sage, a woman who talks with real passion about how to build and manage really exceptional teams, who's got great advice if you're at a crossroads in the early stages of your career, and a frankly brilliant attitude to those of us who came back to work after time off for parental leave. If you think about all of the things that you have to do with children, you know, when you first have children, however that happens in your life, um, you develop a whole set of skills. And when I came back to work, I realised that all of those skills just need to be employed in different ways. In Ask the Hive this month, a place where you get to hear advice and opinion from people across the business world who talk the talk and walk the walk, we tackle the often cringe-inducing subject of pay rises. How and how not to get one. So it's basically not just walking in and saying, I want, I want. We had another lively time in Leeds this month for our discussion panel, where we chewed over questions of whether STEM still has a problem with representing women, uh, how companies need to make more of an effort to hire a truly diverse workforce, and whether young graduates are being let down if they also happen to be parents. Now, one of the things that horrified me was that when I saw that report and I was part of a panel, uh, some of the women said, it's going to take some time, maybe a decade. And I thought to myself, why is it going to take a decade? If people know there's a problem, why can't they fix the problem within months? But before all of that, let's catch up for the first time in 2018 with she who manages to fit more into every day than anyone I've ever met, the one and only founder of the Northern Power Women Network, Simone Roche. Happy New Year and welcome to episode seven. It's time to reflect on a brilliant 2017 and get excited for what's to come in 2018. We start the new year as fast as we finish the last one. We'll be announcing the shortlist for the Northern Power Women Awards this month. And thank you to over 40 judges who have been deliberating for each of the 10 categories. We're meeting with the Northern Powerhouse Minister and also Baroness Newlove to follow up on campaign support for this year, accelerating gender equality from the North. We've been invited to be a judge for the Queen's Awards for Innovation, as well as being part of the Northern representation on the organising committee for the Women of the World Festival. There are some fantastic Northern Power Women events in the pipeline, including the awards, live podcast recordings and a new Futures event too. Listen out for more information. We're also partnering to expand our reverse mentoring and peer-to-peer mentoring opportunities too. But thank you to all of our champions and ambassadors, and we look forward to growing our community further this year. Happy New Year. 
Thank you, Simone. And remember, you can follow everything that Northern Power Women do online at northernpowerwomen.com and also on Twitter at North Power Women. Now, to this month's discussion panel, and I think this has been one of the best discussions we've ever held here on the Northern Power Women podcast. Some really brilliant, insightful, thought-provoking conversations here. I really hope you enjoy it. And thanks to our brilliant hosts in Leeds, the Holiday Inn Express, Leeds Armouries. What a round of applause. Uh, Thank you so much for coming today to the live recording of episode seven, can you believe it, of the Northern Power Women podcast. And today we are live at the Holiday Inn Express in Leeds Armouries. An esteemed panel joins us today. I'm very excited to introduce you to Deborah O'Neill, who is a partner within Oliver Wyman Labs, focusing on financial services. Also a big hello to Ajaz Ahmed, who calls himself a shopkeeper. Yeah, just Google him. Uh, you might have heard of one of the companies he founded. It's a little thing called FreeServe. So uh, we're very pleased to welcome him today and also to the one and only Griselda Tagobo, owner and managing director of Forward Ladies. Thank you all so much for coming. So, as ever, three fantastic, juicy topics to chew over today. And as I say every single month, this is the start of the conversation. So everything you hear us discussing today, we'd love you to continue talking about it in your networks, within your friends, your colleagues. And let us know any feedback at North Power Women on Twitter. So question number one. You may well have seen that the DEA Awards, the Digital Entrepreneur Awards, which were held in Manchester last month, were vilified for including including burlesque dancers and a variety of women in hot pants who accompanied men wearing suits onto the stage. Does STEM still have a problem with representing women? And I'd like to start with you, please, Deborah. Well, hopefully, you know, in most cases, it's not quite as extreme as that. I think most people would have realised that was not the right approach to take on such an event. Um, I think it comes back to, have you really uh, got a diverse view when you're putting your events together? I do think what's more concerning is the stuff that doesn't come up to the top like that, the day-to-day things where women aren't feeling particularly empowered to be able to speak up. And I think, you know, there is a lot of progress in this space. It's probably not going fast enough. And I think it is the responsibility of people like myself and the others on the panel and other senior leaders where we have got the platform and I guess the safety net of being able to speak out to continue to do that and encourage others to join us in that journey because there may well be people who don't feel empowered to be able to do that and we have to just keep calling this stuff out so it just becomes completely not the norm to be able to get away with this kind of behaviour. Rosada, what was your response when you when you saw the videos and the pictures that emerged from the awards and then the ensuing social media ferrari? Well, that's just a sign of a lack of diversity within the planning team and within the organizations that are organizing that. And when I talk about diversity, I'm not just talking about gender diversity, but the breadth of thoughts and experiences that different people bring to discussions. And if that event had been planned by people who knew that actually some of our customers may take offense to that, Mm -hmm. I think they would have taken a different approach. So this just shows that... It's a very internal focused event. There was no thought given to the communities or the customers who may have attended this event. And this is yet another sign that it's time for change and we just need to keep pushing on that glass ceiling and kicking that door open. Were, were you, did you agree that with the people who gave back their awards? Was that the right thing to do, do you think? 
Well, I think sometimes these things are personal choices and someone might decide that for them it's not worthy to have an award from an organization that they do not respect, and, and that's a personal choice. If you did decide to give that back, I don't think there's a problem with that. But those who also decided to hold on to it, I think that's also a good decision because sometimes to be able to change things, we need to get into the into the organization, into the culture, to be part of the things that are happening. So deciding not to be part of an organization because it's uh, it's known to have sexual harassment or uh, discriminatory policies against women is not going to change it's overnight. We need to be part of it. So, yes, it's a personal choice, but, you know, both of them are wrong and both of them can go on to um, create change. Ajaz, you built, of course, your, your business, FreeServe, within the STEM sector. It was a long time ago. In, especially 98. That, that, 98, yeah. Well, first of all, your response to the DEA Awards. Were you surprised? Uh, it reminds me of Donald Trump, actually, where he thinks it's great to tweet something, but the rest of the world are horrified by it. So I think it's the same sort of thing. And so let's go back to 98 when you were launching FreeServe. STEM was a very, very different world and a different planet almost. Was there any women around when you were working at FreeServe? Yeah, there, there were. Uh, there was a lot of people who had just graduated from college or university, and there was a few people like um, at, at lastminute.com where there was two partners, and one of them was male, one of them was women. So there were people around, but one of the problems was that women stopped at a certain level and never got to the, the owners or the, the managing directors. People used to approach me all the time saying, we'd like to do business with you. And I'd say about 99.9% of them were actually men. But the people working for them were women. So there was lots of people in the business, but not actually the owners or, or the founders of the business. So there's still, is there still a way to go, though, in your view? Uh, absolutely. There's lots and lots of people who are working in the business, but they stop at a level and they don't own or, or the managing directors of the business. And I'm on the board of a university. And there's no shortage of uh, supply. There's people, lots of women, uh, lots of uh, people from other countries mm-hmm. who are graduating, but when they work for employers, they stop at a certain level. And that's, I think, the issue. Why do you think that's the case? Um, I think it's people's views. I think it's uh, people who think that that's all they can do. Mm-hmm. And they're quite happy with that because they're scared to say to people, no, I want to be the person in charge. I want to do that. Because if you m- maybe kick up a fuss, yeah, you might have to leave. And I think people are actually scared of kicking up a fuss, and they shouldn't be. Thank you so much. As I said, do continue the conversation, please. You can find us on Facebook, of course, if you search for Northern Power Women. We're online at northernpowerwomen.com or on, on Twitter at North Power Women. Now, talking a bit about diversity there but within STEM, I want to widen the conversation out uh, a little bit and po- talk about uh, business in general, but continue with the theme of diversity because a report came out this year that highlighted that whilst more than 12% of the UK population is BAME, only 6% of top managers actually come from an ethnic minority. 6% of top managers. Do companies need to take more responsibility for ensuring diversity in their workforce? And if that is the case, how, how should they do that? How should they do that? Uh, let, let me stop. Ajaz is nodding throughout this whole question, so I'm going to go to you first, Ajaz. Uh, well, first of all, there is a problem, but I hate market uh, surveys and reports and things like that. Mm-hmm. Some of the biggest companies out there don't do market research, you know, IKEA, Nike, Apple. They don't do that. And I hate reading 
market research and reports. I never did it for FreeServe because I didn't need someone to tell me that. Lots of people want to get on the internet. So we know we've got problems, so why read about it? If we've got a problem, we just need to fix it. Mm -hmm. And it's as easy as that. Now, I watched recently um, Grand Design's uh, you know, Best House, and I observed that the first person... Uh, who introduced the house was uh, the, the guy that normally is a presenter of Grand Designs. And then the second person was a, a black guy. And then the third person was a, a black woman. Now, that didn't happen by accident. So they know there's a problem, and they've done something about it. Now, other companies know there's a problem, and they need to do something about it. Now, one of the things that horrified me was that when I saw that report and I was part of a panel, mm. uh, so some of the women said, it's going to take some time maybe a decade. And I thought to myself, why is it going to take a decade? If people know there's a problem, why can't they fix the problem within months? And I think that's the attitude that we need to take. What do you, what do you think, Griselda, the problem is? Is it with um, black and minority and ethnic people getting to a certain stage? And, and a bit like um, Ajaz was saying before, uh, they, won't, they don't climb any higher much in the way that perhaps women historically haven't climbed any higher in, in tech because you can be what you see, right? And if there's no one like you at a certain level, you don't become that. Or is it companies um, employing some kind of unconscious bias? Let's drill down, I suppose, to what the problem may be, first of all. Well, the, the, uh, it's certainly there is a lot that can be attributed to unconscious bias. But we have to also realise that whether you're black, white or orange or brown, um, you're human and you have the same emotions that drive everybody else and you don't want to be in an environment where you feel you're not welcome or included. And when you're from a minority background like myself, an immigrant in the UK, you're very sensitive to those sort of things. I mean, there isn't a day that passes by where your experience as a person of a different race does not cause any issue at all. There's no day that passes by. Not a single but what, day. Not a single day. I mean, ages knows that. But Absolutely. when you're in the in the majority, that's not a thought that crosses your mind. You just carry on, you apply for jobs and you get it because it's the norm. But when you're from a minority background, you face all those internal struggles knowing that you are facing a lot of challenges. And then you have to make yourself go against all those thoughts in order to apply and to be in a certain place. And the few people that make it through that channel then get there and realize that actually it isn't worth it because you're not getting the same recognition, the same reward. I mean, black people are paid, black and ethnic minority people are paid 25% less than other races. That is discriminating on a whole different level. Who wants to be in that sort of environment? That's why one of the reasons why I checked out, because I realized that I wouldn't achieve my full potential in an environment that wasn't inclusive. And so that's part of the power. Part of the problem, the culture is just not inclusive enough for people of a different race and background to want to be part of that society. So, Deborah, what can companies do? Hearing, to, hearing Griselda there, and we hear a lot about privilege, and it's and it's very difficult if you are a, a, a white heterosexual privately educated person to go, well, wait a minute, I've worked really hard and I've, I've put the hours in to not recognise your privilege sometimes, actually. And it's hard to take a step back and go, OK, I hadn't considered working every day and coming across discrimination day after day after day after day, as Griselda, you were saying, has just become part of your life. What, what can companies do when you have this incredible wealth of talent that's being wasted? So I think there's an important word that we started using there, which is inclusion. I think there's been a lot of focus over the last 
10, 15 years, probably even longer on diversity and diversity gets thrown around. And diversity is almost something you count or you measure. Mm. Inclusion is something much less tangible. It's something you feel. And I think, you know, companies are slowly coming around to the fact that inclusion is its own topic and it needs addressing. And I think it affects a huge amount of companies. We've sort of seen you know, increases in reverse mentoring where you get, you know, senior leaders in a room and have a cross-section of their organisation talk to them about what it is like to be them in the organisation. And I've seen quite emotional responses from leaders who just didn't really appreciate what people were going through each day and sort of, you know, what that meant to them. And actually, um, one of the things I'm pretty proud of, Oliver Wyman's launching Mission Include this year, um, which is a cross-company mentoring scheme for inclusion and diversity um, and sort of aimed at similar to the 30% club it's in conjunction with some of the organisers that sort of getting people from different organisations to have those cross-mentoring mentee relationships and really understand what it's like in other companies but as part of that there is also group reverse mentoring so even if your company doesn't have much diversity in it at the moment and you know you're worried about that and you don't understand what inclusion would mean you actually get these reverse mentoring from people from other organizations so you can see these things coming so I think people need to be much more in tune with it and I think they have to be willing to hear and listen and change and I think you know most good leaders and most organizations do want to change, but they need to hear these stories to really put themselves in that empathetic footprint. I suppose we've, we've had a conversation for a while, haven't we, about including women at, at top levels, at board level, and the fact that actually increases your productivity and increases your profit exponentially because you have got different people engaging and, and approaching things from different angles. Is there a conversation to be had around that, perhaps, if we start talking about the money that businesses will be losing for their shareholders if they are not including a diverse range of people? Actually, knocked on the head exactly my presentation from We Are the City conference <laughs> yesterday. This was actually what I presented on was understanding, you know, the diversity and what it means to your bottom line. I mean, our consumers are diverse people, right? If you're ultimately serving a commun- consumer population, they are diverse and different. And if you have a group of people that don't represent them, similar to what we discussed about the, you know, DEA awards, you can see the terrible outcomes. We see it, you know, some of the adverts that land. I think we've all seen the Lilo example where they clearly didn't even have a woman in the panel he would have taken one look at that picture and gone I think that's the wrong thing to be producing so it it totally makes monetary sense to have a more diverse panel because you're going to land products in your you know consumer base that makes a lot more sense to the people at the end who are buying these things the the problem with the economic argument is it's not a hat and saw argument and so people listen from their heads and think yeah it's a good idea but they're not suffering the business we're talking about are not losing money so you're saying that if you have another woman on the board you're going to make 10 percent more who cares they're comfortable they're okay i think it's an issue again comes down to humanity to empathy when you look at people you shouldn't see race you shouldn't see gender you shouldn't see sexuality you should see people who you you want whose lives you want to better so as leaders in businesses when a woman comes into your office and is crying because she's had a, a tough time getting to the office and childcare has been an issue. It's not a nine to five, it's this person and what can I do to make that experience different for, for them? And I think that's what is missing. There's hours and years, then then there's money, but they don't want more money. What what do you give somebody who has everything else? It's not this is not the solution. So it has to be something that people really connect to on a humanity level and I don't think we've done that. Yeah, and actually I think Rizelda makes a really good point because I think if you look at people coming into the workforce now and over the next 10 years, they have a very different view of what they want out of work. They expect jobs to mean something. They expect it to have societal impact. And actually, 
they are going to drive behavior changes because they just will not engage with these organizations as mm. you know as recruiters and people that they're going to work with so i think you know the change is going to come and i think if the people at the top don't start seeing that and don't get more in the humanity societal world they will find it hard to recruit and they may start seeing that the money leave eventually because people you know won't put up with that sort of behavior some brilliant comments from the panel there as ever continue that conversation do get in touch let us know what you think please or your experiences of working life uh, on twitter at north power women and deborah you were talking there about the next generation of people coming into the world of work. And I think our final question today feeds into that idea, actually, because um, a new report out this month has revealed that having a degree is irrelevant when it comes to helping young women in the jobs market if they're also mothers. And there was a very interesting article I was reading online uh, a couple of days ago about one young woman who'd been through uh, a degree and every single graduate scheme that she applied for provided absolutely no flexible working at all and she is the mother of a young child how do we recognize that the world of work is changing and engage with people who do need flexible not not fewer working hours but more flexible working hours ajaz let me start with you um, yeah, I, I mean, for, I failed all my exams at school, uh, but now uh, I'm on the board of a university and I get asked to actually give talks at universities as well. And I think it's about empathy, putting yourself in the other person's shoes, and that's what retailers are good at. Um, and I don't think people put themselves in the other person's shoes, and if they did that, they'd understand what people feel and then make changes to uh, adapt, and people don't simply do that. So when it comes to flexible working, what needs to change, do you think, Rizal? Because, all, as I said, all the schemes that were available simply said, well, sorry, that, that's what we've done, that's what we've always done, we can't help you, we can't work around that. Yeah, um, it comes down to a lack of innovation, you see. So I follow the American companies quite closely, and Netflix is one of the companies that has unlimited holidays. Take it whenever you like, as long as you like. Just make sure you get the work done. And what's happened with Netflix, they've given the traditional media companies a run for their money. And they're attracting the best talent from schools, irrespective of whether they're parents, they're black, they're Jewish, they're gay, it doesn't matter. So the companies that are not flexible and adapting to the changing workplace and people's need to work a, diff- a different way, they're not going to make it. It's just a matter of time. They're going to be the dinosaurs. So sadly, we live in a culture where the majority of businesses are the large global FTSE companies that take a long time to shift around. The culture is so embedded, it's taking years to build it the way it is. And everybody is afraid to change anything, least they be the person that, you you know, kill the country. But small businesses don't have that challenge. We start businesses and we know what we want to do. We want to grow our businesses and we want to create the best conditions to attract the best people. So there's a lot for large companies to learn from small businesses. Um, and again, it comes down to leadership. You know, the leaders need to be bold. You know, I, I, when I was young, you know, I come from a culture where there were revolutions. We had leaders who were charismatic. They decided that the country wasn't being run properly, so they went and changed it. And I grew up seeing these revolutionary leaders. And now we have Trump. I mean, there is no inspirational leadership that makes you just feel like, actually, I want to change the world. You know, I grew up seeing people who wanted to die for their country because they believed that people deserve better. Now we just want people who want to hit targets and buy the latest car. So, you know, there's a loss in value here. We are not connecting with the right things. We're really being driven by superfluous you know, accolades and, and material things. And I think that is one of the problems that we face as a society. If only 
the leaders we had in the company, you know, were leaders, charismatic leaders. And I, I have a term that I use, transcendence leadership. You know, leaders that we can all connect to. I am a black woman, but I love this white guy because, oh my God, look at what he's doing. If only we had leaders like that, we'll not be having these problems. So again, it's down to a leadership crisis and we need to say it for what it is. It feels like the fact we're even having these conversations because headline, young women of men have had children for many, many, many years and have obviously been facing these issues for many years, but we're actually starting to talk about it, Deborah. So, in fact, should we be encouraged that cases like this young woman's being highlighted? And as Griselda said, the big companies might be turning the tanker and it take a long time, but the smaller companies are going to get in there and adapt. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the Netflix example is a great one, but I think technology as a whole is an amazing opportunity to change the norms here. And, you know, we've had things in the UK like the apprenticeship levy, and I think it's clear that a lot of companies still don't quite know what to do with that. And actually, there'd be a great opportunity for teaching people technology and digital skills because those jobs are more flexible you know people expect to be working more remotely technology firms live and breathe off you know remote working around the world you know flexible time because they're you know generating productivity 24 hours a day and I think you know this is the time we've been told already you know there's so many jobs we're not going to be able to fill for technology deliver digital skills in the UK particularly I think Theresa May has actually mentioned it in the last week that we've got a big gap to fill so you know we've got these very talented people we need to fill these gaps and these sort of jobs in technology digital you know even some of the STEM subjects that can be done more remotely it just feels like a complete no-brainer that this would be a solution that would work for everybody. Sadly, we are out of time. That panel has whizzed by like nobody's business. But thank you so much to all our panellists. Thank you for our marvellous audience as well who are here today. Thank you to Deborah O'Neill, to uh, Ajaz Ahmed and to Griselga, to Gobo. Thank you so much. Northern Power Women podcast, episode seven, panel discussion done. What a terrific discussion. Another great one. Thank you to our panellists and to the Holiday Inn Express Leeds Armouries as well. And to you for all your feedback. Do let us know if there's a question you'd like tabled in the future. You can just tweet at North Power Women. This month we're recording in Manchester, so do watch our Twitter feed and newsletters for details of how you can be in the audience or head online to northernpowerwomen.com. Now it's time for the big interview where we get a real peek inside the business mind of someone who has had real success in their field. This month, it's the extraordinary Helen Baker. She's the Quality Assurance Director for Sage. And she just speaks with such candour and passion, not only about her business choices, but about her personal life too. I started by asking Helen why, as an arts graduate, she chose a career in IT. I didn't really think about having a career in computing at all uh, um, at the time. Came straight out of university and thought, I want to be an English teacher. Uh, had an English degree um, and then and then quite quickly realised that I needed to earn some money and I didn't really want to go into another set of, uh, you know, teacher training. The way that I got into SAGE was really through um, being able to communicate very clearly with people around problem solving. Um, so my skill was being able to understand what somebody was asking me, translate that into the technology that we have here, and then be able to help solve you know, day-to-day problems such as how they run their payroll or how they do their accounts. And I learned all of that on the job. I didn't learn that as part of my degree. That came you know, through you know, joining a company that was willing to invest in me. So you really came to a tech company 
for a non-tech role and then fell in love with tech while you were here. Yeah, so I came in into Sage because I loved people and I loved talking to different people and understanding what their challenges were and helping to resolve those. And actually what I realised was I then had a skill about explanation, about good communication, and that led me on to then being able to lead teams, uh, worked out that I could inspire people, I could help to motivate them, and that they actually liked following me in terms of, you know, how I led. And that's gradually throughout my career enabled me to lead teams you know where I don't have the background in their discipline so teams who are of developers and of testers teams of technical authors um, all sorts of teams where it's all about listening to them and understanding what their needs are and being able to facilitate and enable them. You pivoted didn't you really you joined Sage and you were working as you said in this very customer facing role and, and talking to people and it was about um, discussion and asking questions and then and then you you kind of pivoted into more of a technical role yeah. was that a tough decision and do you feel you almost had to start again because you'd pivoted talk me through that so I got bored <laughs> I realized that I had a huge amount of capacity that I wasn't really using I had learning agility that I wasn't really using and I had to make a decision about whether to leave Sage or whether to seek opportunities and what what was really lucky where there were leaders in the product engineering at the time teams at the time who were looking for something more than just technical capability and so they wanted people who could lead people and and who could listen to uh, um, people's technical skills and utilize those rather than being technical themselves at the time now obviously I've been immersed in technology now for a good long time almost 20 years now so I have an appreciation of those things but I've been allowed to grow that you know that skill Um, and so that's that's where I've had the lucky break is that somebody's believed in me enough in terms of my people skills to actually try me out in a completely different area Um, and my English degree came into force once I moved into product engineering so this is where the the um, steam part of STEM comes in because I was an arts major if you like coming into a technical world and actually it was that capability that creativity that led me into leadership and a lot of people might have thought, well, goodness me, this isn't my world. And all the skills that I have aren't part of this world as I see it. And as you said, consider, will it just be easier to leave and, and look for something that ticked all the boxes in a very obvious level? Yeah, yeah so um, what I'm seeing now is actually the journey that I've been on. So now with apprentices, for example, we're looking for apprentices that perhaps uh, you know have an interest in psychology or sociology, not necessarily those that just code or, or know how to test. Because actually now, the way that tech technology is moving and the pace it's moving at we need people to know people and know how they're going to use technology and that's where we'll get the best the best products you know the world leading products because we know how to make something fit to you know day-to-day usage through skills like that um, so I'm really, part of my role now is really to encourage new intake through apprenticeships, through graduates, um, going out to schools and, you know, influencing children when they're in their, you know, um, option taking years, so year nine upwards, to make them sort of re- reimagine what they could do. And, and to allow people to to reimagine what STEM is. Yeah, so for me, STEM has gone beyond STEM now. You know, you are looking at the arts very much because you have to bring that creativity into what you do because we want difference coming into our organisation. That's what's going to inspire us. That's what's going to, to generate new ideas. That's what's going to bring our innovation, you know, forward. So um, I think very much now we're looking at a real range of um, uh, people and skill sets coming into our organization and we weren't doing that 15 years ago 
Um, and actually, that probably wasn't um, an inspiring story in schools 15 years ago. You know, we're now seeing a lot of STEM activity within schools in the earlier years. So actually, you know, girls are becoming more attracted to the STEM subjects and are wanting to apply for roles within an organisation like SAGE. Did you did you struggle with your gender, the fact you were a woman when you started out in this career? Um, probably not, but only because of the route I came in. So I came in via a customer services role, and because I came in that way, um, I didn't I didn't find any barriers, any blockers. Um, the way I, I I worked once I was in was in project engineering, I think is probably a different story to many. Which was um, I just loved the job, and I and I looked to the job to provide me with the opportunities, and just did the best I could. And I was very lucky to have leaders, male and female, who spotted my talent and promoted me for that reason not because I was you know specifically a woman and so so for me I I have the added bonus of also being in a civil partnership so I'm married to another woman I have children and that is a very open thing within the office that environment that I work in I've never had any barriers whether it be about my sexuality or my gender within this office environment Um, And for that, I am truly thankful because I know that that's not the story everywhere. Yeah, I was about to say, do you think you are um, unique in that or or perhaps different in that? Or do you think that is the changing face of of tech and STEM now? I'd love to think it was the changing face. Um, I'm sure that there are are plenty of stories out there where that hasn't been the case. But we work very hard here through a a diversity and inclusion programme to make sure that we've educated our team members and that we raise, raise awareness all the time. I think my approach has always been that I will tell people people everything about my life as part of my leadership so if they you know if if they want to be led by me then they'll know all about me just as part of that and that what I find certainly here in the northeast that that's just a very accepting mm. ki- kind of approach um, so I've been yeah as I say extremely lucky that there isn't any any kind of barriers in that sense. We've talked a lot actually on the podcast and during these interviews as well about the blurring of lines between your business life and your personal life. And it seems there is a real movement at the moment away from the, well, what goes on at home stays at home and what goes on at work is is for work only. Do you, do you find that that makes for a better business environment and a better working environment if you get to know people as people? Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, that's where you get truly authentic leadership because you can work with people knowing everything about what's going on in their lives and then accommodate and work with them. And what you give, you normally get back tenfold, actually, and, and that's the way that I work. So for me personally, my experience has been that doing that is, is the best way to, to inspire good, good productivity great teamwork collaboration so on let's talk about teams because you you build teams and you run teams what for you are the the key components the crucial components to building a really strong team yeah so high performance is um is something that we have a lot of here and i i know that probably the magic key to that is by really trusting your team members and building that trust and that's all about the relationship building that's also about clarity of purpose so it's about ensuring that all of your team members know what they're doing and what the direction is and the context for that why are they doing it why is it so important for the organization to do x y or z and actually then looking at their skills helping to develop them helping them to achieve their personal goals as well as the company's goals and if you get the balance of all of those things right um, and listen to their ideas and promote their ideas and build on those ideas then the teams just perform themselves you can almost 
sit back and go, wow, look at that. I didn't even even think that they could achieve that, you know. And that's certainly been where I've been successful over the years and why I think people have, have followed me in terms of leadership is because I'm all about listening to what they say mm. and thinking about their ideas, putting in some of my own and, and seeing what that mix can do um, and not worrying about failing. So that's, a, that's another, you know, biggie, which is... Um, in order to move forward, we are going to fail. But we need to fail fast and we need to learn from that and not fail again on the same thing. So if you allow teams to, to fail to some degree to learn, that's where they get their biggest learning opportunity. That then promotes mm-hmm. um, you know, extremely high team performance. Tell me a time when you failed in your <laughs> career. <laughs> Lots of times, actually. I think probably I, I've, I've failed... Um, by staying in the first role for far too long. I waited until I'd got bored because I didn't feel that I had enough value to the to the organisation. Um, and probably two years into that first role, which I was in for about four and a half years, mm-hmm. I probably should have moved at that point. I should have had more confidence to think, you know what, I can do this and, and there are other openings that I could go for. Um, but I think I, you know, I didn't have that at that point, and for whatever reason, you know, I didn't have supporters at that point, kind of championing me. But I, th- I think that was probably my biggest failure, and probably the next couple of roles, I probably also stayed in those too long. If I'm honest, I, I probably should have. I, I might even thinking about it, I probably should have even left the organisation perhaps to get some experience in other different organisations. I've been lucky here to get lots and lots of different roles and so it's kept the variety going and I've been developing the whole time but I'm sure I could have probably taken a slightly different pathway by doing that. Mm. My recommendation for people would be believe in yourself a bit more a bit earlier. So if if someone's listening who's at that Mm. stage thinking I want to move on, I don't know if I'm ready, I don't know where to turn to... What advice would you give them? Yeah, so it's about seeking mentors, for example. So, you know, utilise people within your organisation that you trust, that you you know have had success themselves and that are role models to you. Use them, talk to them about what you want to to do, where you want to go, how you might do that. Um, And then ask for them perhaps to support you in that ongoing journey. So so you feel like you're accountable to to yourself and and to somebody else. And sometimes that can drive someone on quite, you know, more quickly than just off their own back. I think, you know, we've got the the power of the internet, the power of social media to go out and seek those mentors. There are loads of organisations in any local area that have women-supported groups, um, you know, and and those groups are available not just to women, to anybody who's in a position where they want to, you know, change their career or transform it. Um, so it's about, I think, utilise the people around you. I think sometimes we often forget about that and we think that we're in it on our own. Um, even if you've got a really good line manager, you might that might not just be the only person you need to seek support from. And I, and I think then it's about being curious. What else is actually out there that you could do? Go and have a look at the different roles, look at the skills that you've got, get somebody else to tell you about your own mm. skills and then go out and have a look at, you know, out there in the world. You know, there's, Google it away, you know to try and find out what you can do. When you faced major challenges in your career, what tools have you used to, to kind of work through those? Hmm. So I've, my major challenges were when I, when I um, went on adoption leave and then having nine months out of the organisation and then coming back was a very different world when I came back. And that wasn't really because the business had moved on. It was because I had moved on. I'd had to take on a huge amount of different skills and experiences during that time. And it was then about trying to find my place again in in that whole world. Um, And I utilised all sorts of, of things, you know, people, 
um, to talk that through with um, colleagues, friends, but also you know materials online. So I'm a great one for just going in there and typing a question into a search box and then having a look at all of the different communities to see what their responses are. So self-learn, I guess. Um, you know, I took some advice from a mentor at that point about you know looking at changing it up a bit. Um, I really felt at the point where I'd I'd come back that I had a lot more to offer the company as a result of that experience and that I could do a lot more. I wanted to make sure that when I was at work that it was the best possible use of my talent because I was taking that time away from my children. So I wanted to make sure that when I was here that I was delivering absolutely everything I could. Um, so, yeah. That's really interesting that you say that when you came back from from uh, adoption leave, you thought, I've got a lot more to offer this company now because of the experiences I've had, where as a lot of women and, and some men who take parental leave as well or adoption leave, they come back and think, I- I'm less of a person than I was. I- I'm-, I'm less important in this company because of taking a step back. That's a great attitude to have. Yeah, I think um, if you think about all of the things that you have to do with children, you know, when you first have children, however that happens in your life, um, you develop a whole set of skills. And for me, you know, I, I, we adopted an 18-month-old. So actually it wasn't going back to the baby stage. It was going back to, a, you know, a stage for a child that actually had some behavioural difficulties and some challenges there. So it was all about patience, understanding about mental health. It was about um, listening to that child in a different way. It was about being creative in terms of how to bring that child along and help them settle. All things, in fact, that I have to do every day as a leader. So I'm demonstrating those skills just in a different way and developing them for that whole nine-month period. Mm -hmm. And when I came back to work, I realised that all of those skills just need to be employed in different ways. Um, and I think, you know, the conversations that I've had in coaching people that have come back to work from, from those periods of times off since, I'm, ho- I'm hopefully helping to enlighten them about, my God, look at what you're doing now. You know, now you're managing a full-time job and going home and doing all of that. You know, that's a whole new set of skills that we can use here. You're right, I think people don't, they lack the confidence in the skills that they've got and they undervalue them. When you're putting a team together, how important is diversity to you within that team structure? Well, massively important because if everybody's the same, they'll think the same and you won't get any improvement and advancement in what you're doing. So you need to have um, a really eclectic mix of, of, um, of team members, team members that can drive things forward, team members that can come up with the ideas in the first place, some team members that have got really good attention to detail while other team members are, are perhaps you know calmer and looking at the overall project. You know the, 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 it, it's, it's a more of an organic thing. It's nice to be able to plan, but at the end of the day, you know personalities can't be you know as, as predictable as we'd like on paper. So there's always a, a game of chance in there somewhere. Um, but the, the more, in my experience, the more eclectic that mix of people, the, the better the results. And what does diversity mean to you? Because all those different character traits you mentioned, they could be all men or all women, yeah. of course. But do you think it's important to get uh, a mixture of men and women with a team to really make it function? Yeah, in, in our experiences is here that, yeah. Absolutely, women women on a team of, of, of developers, for example, you know, it's nice to have a female developer in there. It's nice to have a mix of female testers and developers. Um, for me, it's just about diversity for me means people who think differently from one another. 
They could be from any background, any gender, any religion, any, you know, any age. Um, it's just about the ability to think differently from each other and to be able to add perspective to each other and context and to be able to talk through things. And it's that, that gel of communication and different styles that ends up with the, the ultimate result, really. And how do you encourage diversity within within companies like sage and within your teams and and to to guarantee it i suppose yeah you have to do some of that in a very structured way actually it would be nice for it to all be very organic but it isn't always um just because of who you might go out you know to recruit to or so on so actually it has to stem right from the heart of what you do so it does have to start you know in our recruitment and and the practices it has to start in how we go out and talk in schools um it has to um we have to talk to our people about you know them bringing in relatives and and family members who can help support us it's it's a really we have to go out to lots of different channels in order to attract lots of different people into our organization Mm -hmm. so sometimes it has to be very um, practically organized you know we need to go out to organizations like NIAS for example the Northeast Autism Society and say actually we might have a set of skills here that we need and and have you got anybody in your organization that might help to fulfill those skills you know equally we might need to advertise some of our job roles in the gay times or you know if we want to 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 bring people in almost artificially initially to to help you know build that um that team um we don't do all of those things right now but those are certainly on our agenda over the course of the the next few years to start really thinking about how we publicize all of our um, vacancies and how we draw in you know difference into our organization so it's a responsibility you think of an organization to ensure that 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 notion of privilege is as wiped away as much as it can be that everyone sees that they have an opportunity yeah absolutely and that social mobility piece starts right from school it's about us going into schools in our local area and not just into the private academies it's about going into all of the schools and opening our doors to them for them to come into us and for us to help educate them about the skills that we're looking for i think it's it's hugely our responsibility to get involved with that yeah There's some government-funded research that came out this month that reveals that more than 9 in 10 women don't feel that equality exists in STEM careers. And actually, um, around a fifth of women who work in STEM believe that they have to work harder to obtain the same success as men. I mean, those those numbers are are challenging, I think, for the industry that's looking to attract more women in in 2017. How can that change? So organizations need to be much more flexible uh, around their working practices for women so um you know if you are the a mum um, and you want but you also have an awful lot to contribute then it's about the facilities being available when you come back to work it's about the encouragement to come back to work the reskilling for you when you come back into work it's about making those things really really obvious and easy for for people to access to encourage them back into the workplace so that's that's certainly on that front um, in terms of working harder I think sometimes women do have to work harder I'm not sure it's that they work harder in their their job day to day within the office um, because I, I think we all work extremely hard what I think is that sometimes if you are you know a mum and actually um, the a lot of that mumness if you like is falling on you as an individual you're managing that and your work um, and I'm not ruling out dads here because I know that there's plenty of dads nowadays that stay at home and so on and it would be the same for them if they were in that position yeah. too but I think that's where the perhaps the working harder piece comes certainly for me um, the, the bit that I have to work harder at 
and it is is my confidence so it's about pushing myself forward on things and that's typically a female characteristic whereby and we've probably all heard the stats around actually women won't apply for a job until they can tick 80% of the boxes as opposed to you know men who might do it under 60% or 40% whatever um, and I think that that is unfortunately a bit of an underlying trait that women undervalue themselves and so there's a lot of work to be done to encourage women and for us to role model you know somebody like me in a senior role to role model the fact that you can do it you absolutely can do it and that might be the element that you have to work harder at it's not about the demonstrating the actual physical work because I think you can just do that it's about just having the confidence to showcase it and finally how do you prioritize your time as someone who's at a very senior level within a very large organization who oversees large teams made up of many many individuals how do you prioritize your time so that work doesn't always win the 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 battle for your time yeah so that's something I've learned over the last couple of years because I've got two children and and I made a choice to have those children and I want to be present in their lives I don't always want to be on a train or skyping them or or whatever so the way that I do it is uh, I've adapted a style which is that all my meetings are half an hour I try and make the most of my day. So, you know, I might take a shorter lunch break, but I might take two 10-minute breaks in the morning and the afternoon and go for a walk, um, as opposed to having a big hour for lunch and so on. So I'm utilising all of minutes of my day when I'm here to their max, so that when I go home at 6 o'clock, between 6 o'clock and bedtime, they have my time. And, yeah, I might do it an hour or so afterwards sometimes, but not every night. And at weekends, I will prioritise my time to make sure it doesn't impact them if I need to work. But generally speaking, I manage my workload within the day. And and I think it's also important as a senior leader to recognise that you need to develop your team members. So delegation is really important. So, you know, there are things that only I can do, therefore I should do them. There are things that actually they would seek the opportunity to do and would love to do if I talk them through that. Um, and that they will take on. And so it's about making sure that we effectively manage the workload across all of our team members. And that means that they get the opportunity to develop. They can also manage their time for their families and so on. And it cascades down. And you then have a very healthy working environment where you're not expecting people to be emailing at 12 o'clock at night. You know, and you're not expecting them to be working all of their weekends and not having time with their children or their families or their partners. And, and if you can make yourself extremely efficient during the day... And that, that for me, is, has worked very well. A really big thank you to Helen for her time and also just a terrific interview from her there. If there's someone you'd love to hear in the hot seat, just get in touch. You can email podcast at northernpowerwomen.com. Right, this has been a really good one. It's time now for the first Ask the Hive of 2018. What a way to start the year. Colle got in touch to ask for any advice in securing a much-deserved pay rise. Let's hear what you had to say. I believe I deserve a pay rise, but I really don't know how to go about asking. Can the Hive help with any hints or tips on how to approach this? Hi, I think you should do a wee bit of homework first and think, why do you believe that you need a pay rise, deserve a pay rise? 
I'm sure um, you most probably do if you believe that way, but you would need to quantify it and justify it. So consider what you have contributed to the organisation, probably compared to your peer group. Um, Look at what different roles and remuneration is um, in a similar industry outside of your own company. And and also perhaps uh, looking at what development you've done and what you intend to do in the year ahead. So it's basically not just walking in and saying, I want... I want, but actually saying I deserve based on this criteria. Good luck. Yeah, so I suppose my advice would be to deal in facts, not generalities. So rather than say I've done a great job, I would come with, say, three very specific examples which you can back up with statistics. Maybe I've increased this by 10% or my advocacy score has gone to this or something very particular that no one can argue with. Um, I would do your research first and benchmark the type of salary for your role if you possibly can and I would put a very clear case forward and hold your nerve. I think it's very important to have a a fallback position, so you may not get what you want, but if you do not get that, what what would still make you happy if you settled for on a second basis? So don't just have one big ask, have some other measures. Big businesses often have problems giving large pay rises, but there are other things that they can do in terms of flexibility or sometimes other benefits. And sometimes it's useful to go with a creative approach so that if uh, they can't give you quite the pay rise that you want, you can get some other benefits from the role. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think asking your boss for more money is quite daunting, isn't it? And a lot of the time, if, if someone doesn't get the answer they want, they they take it very personally and feel pretty undervalued. So, um, so I suppose I've got three three tips in terms of trying to make sure that you you get the outcome you want. And there are probably you know three key things that you know I've come across which you know do do make the outcome of a of a, a salary conversation sort of more positive and and the first thing is to make sure when you have that conversation you've been in the job and you've been doing it really successfully for for a while because you're going to be in a much much stronger position the uh, the second piece of advice is about asking at the right time and so many people ask it completely the wrong time so you know if if results are not going particularly well for the company or um, or you've not had um, you've not had a, a good run in terms of your own personal results it's just not the right time to ask about um, more money um, just make sure that you know you're going in there on the back of some great results and the company's doing well because that that is a big green light in terms of the conversation and the third thing is aim high because most of the time there is a negotiation and most of the time people don't walk out of a salary conversation getting exactly what they want but they they meet usually somewhere in the middle. So if you if you want another five grand, ask for another ten grand or twenty grand, whatever whatever you feel is um, is is appropriate. So that's it, really. They're kind of the three main tips. Other than that, you know, listen, be positive. Don't don't go in and focus on on any of the kind of the the, the negative reasons as to why you should have more money. Like I've been working at the company for x number of years or um i've heard such a person gets paid more than me don't do any of that just just talk about your yourself and your value and how good you are 
and um, demonstrate some 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 great results and um, and aim high. So good luck. Those are my three tips. So my best advice for asking for a pay rise would be to have a think about where you've gone over and above and the added value because one of the barriers you may face is, well, that's just part of your job. So I think you need to articulate what you've done to go over and above and also what the benefit of that has been to the business. Hi, so my top tips for asking for a pay rise are um, all centred around preparation, uh, which is absolutely key. So number one, um, know your market value. Find out um, what you're worth by looking at uh, colleagues or people in other in other jobs in the same industry. Find out what they're earning and what you think you should be on, and go in with a figure in mind and ask for it. Two, prepare the reasons why you deserve a pay rise. So that might be around your market value, but it might also be around your objectives that you've achieved that year, any particular outstanding work that you've done that year. Uh, but go in prepared. Don't just ask for the money back it up with why you feel you deserve it and the third is in the way you ask uh, be confident in the way you ask the preparation will help you be confident but also um, don't fill silences so present what you want to say and then don't say anything else let your boss respond so I don't think it needs to be a discussion about directly how much you're being paid I think it can be a discussion about the value that you're bringing to the business and how your role is going to sort of pan out from that. And naturally, following on from that, it's, it's a question of how, how are you going to be reimbursed for that. As somebody who, uh, who leads a business, I always love to hear of people who have passion for business and who actually articulate that when they're talking about why they want to be in the uh, business. Money is merely something that you look at to retain and reward people who, who are genuinely passionate about the, the business, so, uh, so go for it. As ever, terrific insight from the Northern Power Women Hive. If you've got a question you would like the answer to, then we'd just really love to hear from you. You can get in touch. Email podcast at northernpowerwomen.com. So listen up now and see if there's any advice you can give to the asker of this month's question, which comes from Sue. I've decided I want a new job in 2018. It's not about taking a big step up, but more about change and trying something new. I've got a really good relationship with my employer, and with that in mind, should I let them know I'm looking to move in the next few months, or should I keep quiet until I get an offer? Thank you very much. Tricky one, this, isn't it? Quite interesting as well. Any insider experience, really, really welcome from you on this one, please. Would love to hear your comments. You can send a voice memo to podcast at northernpowerwomen.com or open up WhatsApp on your phone. Add the Northern Power Women podcast on 07928 387 712. That's 07928 387 712. Clicking on the little uh, microphone icon, you can send a voice memo to us with what advice you have for Sue for this month, please. And if you need any of those details or instructions again, you can find loads of the details on the podcast section of the website northernpowerwomen.com. 
So what a way to start the year. Again, huge thank you to every single person who took part this month and an extra thank you if you've taken the time to like, subscribe or leave us a review wherever you get your podcast from. It really does mean a lot and it makes a difference to other people being able to find out where we are as well. So a very, very big thank you. Do please spread the word and let us know what you think. The next episode of the Northern Power Women podcast will arrive for you on February the 5th. Until then, this is the Northern Power Women podcast. I'm Sam Walker, and this has been a What Goes On media production for Northern Power Women. Mm-hmm.